Patricia Lynn Taylor was a 15-year-old from Oklahoma. She lived at the Tulsa Girls Group Home and worked at Sonic. On August 31, 1981, after a year in which she ran away a couple times but always came back, Patty told co-workers she was getting on a bus, presumably to run away once more. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Densel, and this is Unfound. worst nightmare. Waking up to not find your son or daughter in his or her bed. To get home from work to find your child never came home from school. To go pick up your teenager from an event only to find out that your teenager was never there in the first place. Even though I'm not a parent, I can imagine myself going over these what-if scenarios many times if I were. But if you are a parent of a child under the age of 18, you should know some statistics. A vast majority of children under that age disappear for one of two reasons. Abduction by a parent, or the child is a runaway. And as you can imagine, as a child gets older, 13 years old, 14, 15, 16, the more the stats get skewed toward the runaway scenario. Meaning, as much as parents worry about the stranger abduction possibility, they should be much more concerned with their ex-husband or ex-wife or what is going on inside their teenager's mind. The good news? Almost all young people who disappear are found, alive and well. Then there's Patricia Taylor. She didn't live with her parents. Her family was a group of girls exactly like her. The adults watching over them did it because it was their job, not due to a sense of love and caring. And when Patty left and didn't come back, it wasn't a nightmare to them at all. They wrote her off as if she were an expense for a business. They just couldn't be bothered to worry about the runaway. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Goodsight, charlieproject.org. Over the first 15 years of her life, Patty Taylor moved around quite a bit. Born in California, her family moved to Oklahoma. They then sent her to live with relatives in North Dakota who then moved back to California. Around 1979, Patty found herself back in Oklahoma at the Baptist Home for Children in Oswaso. From there, she was transferred to the Tulsa Girls Group Home. At the group home, she made friends, but in 1980 and into 1981, there were signs she wasn't pleased with her living situation, nor with her friends. Patty ran away twice, once for just a day, But on the other occasion, Patty managed to stay away for a week before being found and brought back. In addition, Patty expressed frustration that her fellow girls at the home were so eager to fit in with the students at the public high school. The supervisor at the Tulsa facility, as seen in their reports, worried about negative influences Patty experienced with her job at Sonic. Although to this day, no one is sure what those influences were. Boys, drugs, alcohol... The reports don't specify. All that is known is that on August 31, 1981, 
Patty went to her job as usual. During the shift, she told co-workers that she was getting on a bus after work. Nobody is sure if the Sonic employees took her seriously or not, but Patty was never seen again. She was considered a runaway. However, information gained within the last five years shows there could be another reason for her disappearance. The interview for this episode is with Patty's half-sister, April Vordren. Unfound News Volume 2 continues to be worked on. I hope to release it soon. It will be available just like Volume 1 in both ebook and paperback form. I've also already completed the cover for Volume 3. Like Volumes 1 and 2, it will have pictures of the victims on the cover and will have its own color motif. I hope to have all the books published by the end of March. Next, I also plan to start work on the Unfound t-shirts. They will have the logo on the front and on the back the picture of a missing persons case this program featured, along with the information, very much like the playing cards. I want them to be the best looking and highest quality of all podcast attire. The key will be getting pictures that are high enough resolution to be blown up. Most pictures on the internet are low resolution. I anticipate the families will help me with this endeavor. Finally, I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas. It seems a lot of the northern U.S. got some snow, especially eerie, 53 inches in 30 hours. Wow, those pictures are crazy. I also want to wish you all a happy new year. I think 2018 will be a big year for Unfound, and I want you all to be a part of it. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Podomatic, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Podbean, and Overcast. And remember, Unfound is now on Spotify. The email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. The website, unfoundpodcast.com. Please check out the secret Stephen Kocher episode. And now, if you click on the merchandise button, it will show you the links to both the books on Amazon and the playing cards at makeplayingcards.com. Unfound's page at TribTotalMedia, triblive.com forward slash news forward slash unfound. Unfound has a Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash unfoundpodcast. Unfound also has a PayPal account. Just do a search for the Unfound email address, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com, and thank you to Roseanne and Andrea for their contributions this past week. And please mention Unfound on all true crime Facebook pages and other websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, the sister of Patricia Taylor, April Vordren. April, welcome to Unfound. Hello, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Now, it should be clear that you were actually born after Patty disappeared, but what have you learned about her in all these years that you've been looking for her? What have you learned about her? What have people told you about her? Um, well, I have just heard stories from other siblings who were with her, um, you know, story, just big sister stories like you would hear. Um, I have learned through records that I was able to obtain that um, Patty enjoyed reading, um, that she uh, attended chapel, that she liked to sew, and she liked to dance and listen to music. Um, there are numerous times throughout her records where She's been reported as having a great sense of humor and that she's very beautiful. So these are all um, wonderful things that I have learned about her over the years. 
And these people that have known her and now know you, uh, do they say that you and she maybe look alike or have similar tendencies or interests, anything like that? Do you think you share a lot in common with Patty? Um, I do personally, and it's funny that you ask that because I have had people tell me in the past that they can see a, a big resemblance between her and I, um, and I do enjoy some of the things that I have learned she enjoyed. When did you first learn that she was a missing person, and did you do something about it right away, or were you very young, or how did that all come to be, and how did you end up in the situation you are in 2017 being on Unfound? Well, uh, I've always known about Patty. She is my sister, and I've always known about her from family. Uh, my mother you know, told me about her. My siblings told me about her, so I've always known that she existed. Um, of course, like you mentioned, I was, I was born after she went missing. So as I grew older and learned more about uh, her history and the past that was reality whenever she was still with my mom, um, you know, learned new things about where she went. Um, I learned that she was sent to go live with family at a certain point in her teenage years um, and that family had brought her back to Oklahoma where she actually became, um, you know, custody of the state of Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. Several years I've spent looking for her, um, probably a solid five or six years that I just myself have been looking. And there has been other family members who have looked in the past. Um, I was able to obtain her records from the state of Oklahoma at the end of 2015. And after going through those records, I realized and discovered that she actually ran away from the last place that she was at, which is the Tulsa Girls Group Home in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So she went to work that night. She had advised them she was going to get on a bus, and uh, she ended up running away. And you learned about this at, at what time um, that you started looking into this, right from the beginning? And maybe we do need to set this up. In what year would you say that you really started really getting into this and then found out this information that we're talking about today? Uh, 2011, 2012, somewhere around in there. So I had been searching for several years before I had got the records and actually found out for sure what had happened. Um, I had created a Facebook page for Patty and I had received messages over uh, about the Walker County Jane Doe. There was people who thought that Patty had a similar um, physical features and things about that story, um, you know, were relatable to my sister. So in order to confirm or deny whether or not the Walker County Jane Doe was my sister or not, um, I learned about all the steps that you have to take for these missing persons cases. Mm -hmm. So at that point, um, I'd gotten a missing persons report done and uh, submitted DNA, both my mother and myself, so that uh, that could be put through CODIS. And um, once the missing persons report was there and then DNA was run and then her information, you know, was in name as I had all of these things to prove what I had done so far in looking for her. And at that point, I went back to try and obtain her records again because I did try to get them previous to previous to when I actually did get them. Um, I had been told on numerous occasions just flat out no. And I had also been told that um, the records had been destroyed in a flood. I just got several, several um, reasons why I, would, I wasn't going to get them. But after I had taken these other steps 
and I was able to, you know, prove what I had done and this person was really missing and, you know, I need these records if they're out there. And I got help and was able to get them. So, I mean, I had been searching for several years before I mm. found out, you know, what had happened. So this wasn't something where you just decided to do it and got success right at the at the start. You really had to uh, work, you know, through some, you know, bureaucracies, I guess you could say, to put it nicely, before you got the information that you now have. That's very fair to say, yes. And, you know, I come in at the end of other family members who had spent years looking as well, you know what I mean? So I had kind of that stuff to go on. Um, but, yes, that's, that's a very fair statement. Okay. And growing up, was Patty, um, was she mentioned in a lot of conversations? You Do you remember as a child becoming a teenager? Uh, was she the topic of conversation growing up? Um, how would you, how would you explain that maybe to the listeners being that once again, you didn't actually know her and you were born after she already disappeared? Right. So there wasn't a whole lot of talk that focused around her when I was growing up per se, you know, a lot mm -hmm. more of my interest came once I was of age, once I was an adult and I could kind of understand more about the situation that surrounded her being gone. And um, there was not a great home life. There was some, you know, abuse going on and some other things going on in the home that Patty was sent away from. And, you know, that's not something that was said around the table and talked about whenever I was a kid. So as I got older and could more understand the circumstances surrounding it, um, then, you know, that's where I learned more about what happened and why. Of course. And just to be clear, how many siblings do you and Patty have? Uh, there are seven of us. Wow. Okay. Uh, both boys and girls? Boys and girls, our oldest brother, Carl, has actually passed away. And one of my other sisters, Carolyn, has actually passed away. So there are four of us left looking for Patty, number five. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. So as you uh, said, she was sent off to live with some other relatives. And a bit, um, she eventually found her way back to Oklahoma. And she had been in the Oklahoma Baptist Home for Children. But eventually... She, um, in her teenage years, was at the Tulsa Girls Group Home. Uh, what can you tell the listeners? Most of them are probably not familiar with that place. Does it still exist? Um, and how big was it? What can you, just the environment, kind of environment that was at that place that Patty eventually disappeared from? What have you learned about it? Well, as far as just the group home itself, um, she was there, and that was the shortest amount of time that she really spent anywhere. But from what I can tell, just whenever I search for it now, um, it was an older home. It was, looked like an older Victorian-style home, uh, something that was two-story, probably had several rooms in it. But for it being a group home for the girls, probably wouldn't have housed more than six to eight um, girls at a time. So I know that she was there along with a few other names that I found for other girls who was there at the same time from uh, incident reports that I actually got in her records. Sure. Um, there was Patty, uh, a girl named Cheryl, Lisa, Kathy, and Kim. So there were five of their, five of them there at least. Um, and I know there were, you know, at least two different, um, you know, house moms or whatever they would have been called at the time at, the residence at any given time. 
Um, but from what I understand, it was just a few blocks away from a place that Patty worked. Um, and like I said, what I can see whenever I look for it today, it just looks like an old home that sits next to a storage building. Um, and it does not look like it's being used as a girl's home anymore. Okay. Now we should be clear that this was just a home. This was not a place where, uh, there was any education or anything else. Um, Patty was going to a high school she was allowed to go out to, you know, that she had, like you said, she had a job and maybe we need to talk about some of these things. Um, where was she working at the time uh, that she disappeared? Well, according to her records, um, she was able to get the job pretty quickly at a Sonic that was approximately one block away from the home. And again, this is just according to the records. There's no Sonic in the vicinity of that home as of now. Um, but yes, she was able to go to work and she got a job at Sonic not too far away from there. Yes, and you you said that you had a report about that. I had a chance uh, to look at that report. What did the people at the, the, the Tulsa group home happen to think about her working at the Sonic? If you well, we can I talk about that. that. Yeah, I think that they were encouraged by it at first because um, she was able to go and get a job that she was keeping. Uh, it turned into, from what I can tell by the records, to where she started coming in later and later. Uh, there were a few um, things that indicated that Patty would tell them somebody was dropping her off down at the corner from the work instead of bringing her to the house, and there was some concern there. Um, and at one point in time, I read that they were concerned about the contacts, quote-unquote, that she was making there. So I'm not sure if that was contacts meaning the employees or her bosses there or people who are coming to the job to see her. I'm just not really sure that that's kind of unclear, but there was some concern about that mm. according to the records. And we're still not sure um, if this is actually true or it could be just being the people who run the home, maybe being a little overprotective. We just don't know really. Sure. That's, that's fair to say. Yeah. And overprotective uh, could be very loose here as well, just because, you know, we don't know exactly how her behavior was there either. But yes, uh, it's all just speculation. There was no proof that anything had happened one way or the other with the employees there, from what I can tell by the records. Now, she had, though, run away a couple times in, in the year, I guess, let's just say, before she actually did disappear. Um, what can we say about those disappearances? Can you detail those two instances for the listeners? I can. Um, January 16th of 1980, uh, she ran away and she was picked up in Bartlesville on the same evening. Um, I don't really have any ties to Bartlesville. I don't know of anybody that she would have known who lived in Bartlesville. Uh, I don't know if she was headed through there in how she even got picked up there. You know what I mean? I don't know how that came about. We did have an aunt who lived in Barnstall at the time, which is kind of on the way to Bartlesville. Um, I don't know if that was the end game for her or not. I wouldn't think so, but that's the only person in that vicinity that I would have known to be in Bartlesville. Um, on another instance, August the 26th of that same year, she ran away and she didn't come back until September the 2nd. Uh, which is a pretty long stint for somebody to be gone. It does not indicate in there how she returned, if she was picked up, if she called somebody to come and get her, if she just showed back up. 
Um, and I do also show that she stayed out all night the night of August the 22nd, and she came back the next morning. Another part of my records that I found uh, that was talking about her nights of being gone and all the times that she had run away indicated that the night of August the 22nd, she was actually at a party. So, again, I don't know if she was picked up there or if she came back and just told them that's where she was or what. Um, but there were definitely a handful of instances where she ran away. Okay, so when you say August 22nd, do you mean of like nine days before August 31st, 1981, which is considered to be her disappearance date? Uh, August 22nd of 1980. Oh, 1980. So a full year before she actually disappeared. So those dates that you ran off are of 1980, not 1981. Okay, great. Correct. Okay. How far is Bartlesville, would you say, from the Tulsa group home? Do you know? Oh, a little over an hour, maybe. Uh, you can go straight up Highway 75 and get there. Okay. And to your knowledge, and all the records that you've gotten, uh, did Patty ever say how she got there? Did she walk? Did she hitchhike? And in either of these circumstances, of course, the other one, she was gone for almost a week. Do we know any details about how she left the area and where she was and then any of that information? Do we know? We do not. It doesn't indicate anywhere how she would have gotten anywhere or how she got back. Um, the only thing I have to go on as far as that's concerned is from someone at the Sonic who told the house workers that she said she was going to get on a bus uh, the night that she actually did run away. So I don't know if she'd used the bus previously and that's why she knew she could do it or what. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's, uh, kind of insightful. It may be that she used the bus before and this night that she disappeared, she was going to use it again. Very possible. Now, one of the other issues, and it could be a factor in her disappearing, was she might have been having some problems with the school that she was going to. Um, what can you tell the listeners about that? Well, Patty indicated in record where I can see she had some complaints about being with the regular school crowd. Um, there were some times that she had indicated that she would rather have been back in one of the group homes as opposed to being somewhere she was allowed to go to like a regular public school. Um, there was some talk in the record about how she didn't like the kids who obeyed the rules or did what they were supposed to do, the sauces that was called or the preps. Um, just kind of indicated that she had a little bit of a problem there. I don't think that school was really her favorite thing. There were a few other things where I found in quotes where it talked about her disliking school, not wanting to go to school and things along those lines. Yes, and in fact, she was kind of giving a hard time to some of the other girls who were going to the school who were kind of trying to fit in with them. Yes, that's correct. Okay, so she um, had a certain idea about who she wanted to be. And she didn't want to go to school, and a lot of teenagers don't want to go to school, so it's not uh, totally uncommon. Now, one more point, um, another something, something else that was going on at the time, is at some point, one of these times that she uh, ran away, she got a tattoo. What was the tattoo? How, you know, where was it on her body, if you can say that? And... Uh, any idea where she got it, who paid for it, anything like that? I had no idea where she got it or who would have paid for it. Um, it is a tattoo of the letter S, 
and it is on her upper right arm, according to her records. Now, I do not know if this means upper arm before the elbow or upper arm like on the shoulder area. I just know it says upper arm and on her right arm. So uh, I do not have any photos of it. And um, there is a couple or one report in there where it indicates that she has this tattoo. That is the only place in her record that I see that. Um, and I don't know for a fact that she received that whenever she was gone on one of her runaways, but that would make sense because that's when it happened. Um, but that is all that I know about the tattoo. And any idea what the letter S might have stood for? No idea. There is one other Jane Doe that's been found that she's actually been ruled out as a match to Patty who also had one of those tattoos. And I have tried to do some research on, um, you know, sex trafficking tattoos because I know those girls get branded quite often and things along those lines for, the, you know, that area in that time frame. So I've never really been able to find anything that matched up the S to anything that would make sense. Okay. And are you saying that this Jane Doe was in the Oklahoma, Texas, New Mexico area, somewhere like that, or was it somewhere else? Or was it right in that area? No, it, it was in that area. It was in that region. Okay. Now, we've already kind of mentioned um, how she disappeared, but what do you personally know about that day? Did she go to school? Um, did she go to work? What do we know about the time frame of the day that she disappeared, August 31st, 1981? Um, I don't know much other than just that day. I don't know if it was a day that she was supposed to school, go to school or supposed to report to work or not. Um, I have tried to get her employment records to see if I could maybe get some more information like that about that time, um, but it has been unsuccessful in doing so. Another reason that I tried to find the group home was to see if I could find any more record on whether or not you know, there was an altercation that day, whether she told them she was supposed to be going to work or not, which I assume that she did, and then just got on the bus instead. Um, but I, there isn't anything more I know about that day, except it was the last one that anybody knew where she was. Now, I know we've already mentioned this uh, in this interview, but let's just go over it one more time. She told somebody that she was going to be getting on a bus, so that happened on August 31st. Who was this person? That inform maybe we need should go over that information for the listeners one more time. Okay, yeah, I do show in her records um, that she told a coworker she was going to get on a bus. Um, I contacted Greyhound about this, and they really couldn't do anything to help. Uh, Greyhound started a, a runaway program in the '90s, but before then, they wouldn't have any way to track down anybody from the '80s. But as far as what her records say, she had indicated to a coworker from Sonic that she would be getting on a bus. And do you know if this uh, she got off work earlier in the day? W w was it at night? Do you even know that? I, have, I do not. Okay. So not a lot of information about um, when she left work and what bus she got on and, and where she was going. I guess it take for granted that she was going to be getting on a bus. She was heading out of the area very much, maybe very similar to uh, the couple times that she actually ran away. Uh, when did the Tulsa group home, the girls group home, figure out that she ran away? What did they do? Did they file a police report, missing report, missing persons report? What happened in the days and weeks after Patty never came back to the home that night? 
Well, I don't know about there being a police report. I know that there are certain protocols that they would take as far as, um, you know, having hearings over the girls, uh, writing their reports out. Um, one report that I have says that one of the workers there spoke with one of Patty's bosses on September the 4th to see if they had heard from her. Um, this is where I have that that coworker said that Patty told them she was going to take a bus out of town, um, but that coworker denied knowing anything more. So this report goes on to say that they haven't heard anything since, and they don't know of any way that Patty would go, so they have no leads. And I believe from there, there were a couple more hearings about her whereabouts, and basically once the hearings happened after she would have aged out anyway, they just closed her case. Now, maybe we need to uh, explain what aged out means uh, to the listeners. What does that what does that technically mean? Sure. Um, what it means is that once a child who is in state care reaches the age of 18, which is adulthood, they would no longer be in state care. And in this situation where even if Patty showed back up at their doorstep, they wouldn't have been able to help her anyway because she was an adult. Okay. And so, uh, just to be clear about this, are you saying that back in 1981 that there was no missing persons report made? There was a report. There was there was reports probably at Tulsa Girls Group Home because I'm sure somebody there had to answer for how one of their girls there, you know, kind of took off. I'm sure somebody got asked about that. But as far as law enforcement goes, no missing persons report made. There is none that I can find. That's okay. Correct. Okay. And since then, have you or anybody else in your family uh, officially made out a missing persons report? Yes, I have. Whenever I started the process to find out if Walker County Jane Doe was a match for her, that was the very first thing I did. Okay. And um, how did that go? Were the police kind of look at you a little sideways? You're actually filling out a missing reports report from 1981. Um, I'm just going to guess that they don't, they didn't have that happening all the time. Yeah, I, I'm not sure that they did. Um, I actually worked with a woman who was, you know, she was pretty kind about it. And that was the direction that she sent me. Um, because in order for me to have submitted DNA and everything to go through CODIS, that had to be in place first. So it wasn't like, you know, I just chose to go up there and do the missing persons report, but it was actually part of the process in order for me to get her information submitted into NamUs. So it wasn't a huge, you know, eyebrow wrinkler at me, but since that has happened, other people have taken that detective's place, and that is where I run into people you know, seeing that this is a very old case and not being, you know, very helpful with it because it is so old. And this missing persons report was filed in Oswaso, Oklahoma? It was not, no. Um, Patty is actually missing from Tulsa County, and Tulsa County is uh, where the missing persons report is out of. Okay. okay. I did it with Tulsa PD. Okay. Because I've seen Oswaso mentioned uh, a couple different places. Um, yes, and Owasso was at one point in time a place that Patty was at, and in the beginning of the search, you know, 
for several years, I didn't have a record or a true timeline. And my guesses were on everything. You know, I just had to estimate timelines and I had to guess at this and guess at that. And, you know, they're pretty good guesses and everything was, you know, pretty close to being accurate. But there are a lot of things that say that Owasso was where she was from simply because I didn't have any other, you know, I didn't have anything else to go on. Once I obtain the records and have reached back out to NamUs and other places to try and get them to update their information, I mean, that's very difficult to get those things updated, you know, once it's already in the system. So, Owasso was a place that she was at, but it's not where she disappeared from, and, and it was Tulsa PD that I did the report through. Okay. And uh, just to go back to the aged out thing one more time, what you're saying is once she got to a BNA age where she wouldn't be able to live in the group home anyway... Tulsa Girls Group Home kind of just washed their hands of her, pretty much. I would say, really, it would be the state of Oklahoma, not just particularly the girls' home, but her major, you know, caseworker at that time. Okay. During this time when she was staying in in the, the girls' home, was she in communication with any of your family, your mother, uh, her father, anybody? What, maybe we need to just cover that just a little bit. What was the status of her in this home in relation to her biological family who were out there somewhere? So um, over the few years that she was in state care, she did keep in contact with uh, my grandparents, our grandparents, as she would send letters to my grandma and my grandpa. Um, I don't know if she had addresses to any of the aunts and uncles, but she always spoke to them through the letters to my grandparents from what I could see. so she did have that communication with them. I think that phone calls were able to be made as well because I saw in a few copies of letters that I have where she said, I'll try to call you tonight or try to call you this weekend. Um, and she, you know, knew that there was family out there and family was contacted about Patty and placement for her. But unfortunately, you know, there just wasn't anywhere for her to go. And she had been adjudicated. So at that point in time, you know, my mother had no rights to her anyway. Um, and, you know, there was no communication there. Okay. So they knew where she was. Did any of them ever go see her or, or anything like that? Once again, just trying to understand the environment uh, at this home. Sure. No, um, I don't believe that Patty had any visitors. Now, my oldest brother, Carl, who I'd mentioned earlier, was unfortunately also in state care and in the beginning of Patty's custody in the state of Oklahoma she did get to go visit him and they did get to have some communication back and forth so she had that which was I think great Um, Mm -hmm. but as far as anybody else goes and I think in the latter part of her custody uh, it was much less frequent than it was in the beginning okay I think it would be even fair to say that while she was in the group home, she may not have even communicated with anybody at all. Okay. Now, since 1981, we're going to get into some more recent uh, news here shortly, but since 1981, uh, any sightings of her, any possible sightings that maybe you learned of later, that maybe your family found out out about after August 31st, 1981? Any leads at all? No. Okay. And that's, I mean, that's the short answer on that. You know, anytime that, 
you know, we're out of town eating and somebody's got a waitress with red hair, you know, it always kind of makes you think in the back of the head, you know, could this mm-hmm. be her or, you know, somebody thinking that somebody kind of just looks enough like our mom that it could have been her, you know what I mean? Just things yeah. like that, but never anything that we could stand on. You know? Sure. And she was 15 when she disappeared and so she would be 51 now in 2017. Okay. Now, as you said, you really started hitting this hard in, um, about five years ago, six years ago, 2011. Um, you ran, and we're not going to use her name, you ran across uh, a woman who has been what I would call helpful in, in your search. What can you say, um, and I'm just going to leave this as an open-ended question, what can you say about this person's help in your work the last five, six years? Okay, so, um, you know, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children did a wonderful job with a video that they did of me, uh, basically reading a letter to Patty and just kind of put together this video to share, to get the word out about her. Uh, this video we shared and shared and actually came across an old friend of Patty's. Um, this, one of the very last pictures before I got Patty's records uh, that we had of her, one of the very last pictures we had of her, she had on a dark sweater and she had a necklace on. And whenever this friend came to the surface after the video was shared and she said she was actually the one that gave Patty the necklace in that picture. So that was a pretty awesome thing for the family. I think for me, definitely personally to just kind of make that connection there. Um, This friend of hers said that she knew Patty because they went to school at Owasso together. So one of the first places that Patty went, she actually went to Owasso school and this girl also went to Owasso school and that's how they knew each other was from there. And so this would have been at a time before Patty lived in the Tulsa girls group home where she disappeared from. This would have been one of the other places she was before the Tulsa girl girls group home. That is correct. Yeah. Okay. And these two, did they keep in touch? I mean, what has uh, this woman been able to tell you about, how often they interacted um, during that time, I, I maybe over what would it be, maybe a couple years, maybe? 79 to 81, um, something like that, maybe? Maybe closer to around a year-long period. Um, you know, they went to school together and were fairly close, and this friend mentioned that she had come over to her house a few times to visit, uh, maybe even more than a few times. Uh, because, the, you know, the kids were allowed to do that, allowed to have friends outside of the shelters where they could go and spend time. Um, and, you know, at one point in time, this friend had uh, confided in Patty that she was experiencing some abuse at home. And the story goes that my sister took it upon herself to share this with her caseworker. And at that point in time, you know, this friend actually, you know, her whole life changed. She ended up becoming a ward of the state as well. And there's this whole you know, big story that came about with the abuse that she was going through and um, the man that was doing that to her actually ended up spending some time in jail. And, at, wow. you know, by the time all of that got done, Patty, I think, had moved on to the next place. So I'm not sure that their communication, you know, was as often after that. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there was, from what the friend mentioned, she said that there was a couple of workers and one of these workers worked at the group home that patty was at and so 
at one point in time, they had brought the girls together to go to church together. And then another time that they were supposed to all be going to church so that the girls could see each other is when one of these caseworkers let the friend know that Patty had actually run away. So this woman um, who was friends with Patty, um, she had been in a predicament of her own and Patty had helped her kind of get out of it. That is how the story goes, yeah. Okay, okay. Well, that was very admirable, a very courageous thing for Patty to do. Um, this girl did not know that Patty had run away. Do you think this girl knew about the other occasions that Patty had run away? Any any idea regarding that when she went to Bartlesville, when she ran away to Bartlesville, and then this other uh, time that she ran away for almost a week, did this friend of Patty's know about either of those circumstances? I don't know if she did or not. Um, she doesn't recall knowing about those things, um, but this friend was also, you know, in a pretty bad situation herself after all of these other things happened. So I, you know, I don't know if she knew about him and just doesn't recall or if she in fact didn't know about the other times of her running away. I do know that uh, her and Patty spoke in the past about running away. So I know that that was something that they had discussed doing, but I don't know if that was an actual plan or if that was more of just kind of like a fantasy that they spoke about doing that. So, um, you know, Patty was not raised with her real father and neither was this friend. And they both spoke about going and seeking out their biological fathers and how they planned to do that um, and moving to California and a few other things that they had spoke about just kind of in their, you know, alone time or whatever. Um, but I, I don't know if she knew about the other times that she actually did run away or not. Okay. And we would think that if this was a friend and Patty had run away to see her that probably this friend uh, would remember. She might not talk about it back then as a teenager, but all these years later talking to you, you would think that she would be very forthright with you and saying, you know, one of those times that Patty ran away, you know, she really came to see me. But that's not happened. You've not had that discussion at all. That's correct. You know, I have not had that discussion. She has not told me that about her. Um, and I don't have any reason to believe that she ran away with the intention of going to her. Okay. Now, there is um, a, a letter that uh, you're going to have to fill me in on this, uh, April, that Patty had sent a letter. Was it to your family? Was it to this girl? Was it somebody else that had been signed something like Love, Patty, and Dawn? Let's just talk about that letter for a moment, what you know about that, because it's kind of going to lead into some of the, to where we go next in this conversation. What was that letter? Sure. So the letter was uh, addressed to our grandparents, and it was just basically had all the things in it that normally she would write about, you know, how are you doing? Uh, it was really good to hear from you. How's the aunt and uncles? Tell everybody hello. Um, she did mention in this one that she was going to be getting braces. Um, and the very end of the letter, she had written on there, write back soon. And then it was signed, Dawn and Patsy forever. And... What did your grandparents um, make of that, her signing it off that way, especially since she would, is it a girl's home, not a guys and girls home? What did they think at the time 
in and how how when did this letter get sent? How long before she disappeared? Do you know? Well, I'm not exactly sure. It does indicate in there that she says, you know, I'm going to be a freshman and she's going to get braces. And I have in my records that she got braces on or around June of 80, 1980. So it would have been, you know, either shortly before that could have been that summer, you know what I mean? Because Mm -hmm. then she would have been going into her freshman year the next year. Um, But I I don't know how they felt about it or what they thought about it or if they thought anything about it at all. Um, It's only been within the last couple of years that I've ever even seen this letter. Okay, so you've you've seen the actual original letter. They saved it. I have, yes. Okay. Did so this would have been a full then maybe a full year and plus a year and some months before she actually disappeared. So she was 15 when she disappeared. She would have been 14 roughly when she wrote this and she's writing about seemingly maybe having a boyfriend named Dawn. At the time, did Dawn have any did the name Dawn have any significance uh, to to anybody? Did anybody really have any idea who he might be? And at the time, not necessarily. Um, you know, unfortunately, the situation I said Patty came from to begin with, when she initially was sent to live with family, um, her abuser's name at the time, you know, was Dawn. But you know, that doesn't really make a lot of sense that that would be in a letter like that. And, um, you know, according to the records and everything that she spoke about as far as that situation went, I don't think that there is any sort of other types of feelings for him. And um, now later on, there were some other theories about who the name belonged to. Okay. Um, yeah. And Dawn, maybe not a very common name in 2017. It seems to me, I'm 47 years old, that it seems to me it was more maybe a more common name in late 70s, early 80s than it is now. So it wouldn't be outrageous for her to know a Dawn. Maybe there's a Dawn in the family. It's very possible. More possible than, more probable than, than it is now. And that's fair, yeah. Okay. So now having said that, and this goes back to the woman that you've met recently, and once again, this is going to be something that um, you have as much latitude to speak about it as much or as little as you want. Um, you have learned about a Dawn um, in the last few years that maybe could be the Dawn that Patty was talking about in in the letter. What can you? What do you want to say about that? Well, um, the friend that surfaced after the video, um, you know, I've mentioned that she kind of had some hard times after, you know, after knowing Patty and, and from what I've learned about her, this friend was in a pretty abusive, crazy relationship with an older man, uh, whose name was James Lay. Uh, according to the friend, this man had a brother named Don. And there were actually several siblings and cousins and all of them, you know, were from the area and had a pretty bad reputation. And um, at one point in time, James saw Patty's friend with a picture of Patty and had told her, you know, there's no reason for you to be looking for her or thinking about her because she's disappeared from an adult club. And that is what she was told about Patty 
Um, and again, you know, this person was abusive and he was mean and, and, you know, no one knows if he was just saying this to, you know, be controlling or try to tell her, you know, what to do. I don't yeah. know. But this man had a brother named Don and, um, you know, if, if this friend and my sister had more communication than she's being forthright about, then, you know, she very well could have introduced them or she could have known them. Um, and, you know, that could have been the Dawn that was on the letter. Sure. Uh, and, and it could be, and it, it kind of goes along with the time frame that if uh, Patty is writing this letter that's saying the summer of 1980, once again, a full year and some months before she disappeared, this probably was around the time that she and her friend had met you know, and saw a lot more, a lot of each other. And this friend could have been seeing James and Patty could have been seeing Dawn, but Dawn also a lot older than these two girls were, weren't that? Wasn't he? Yes. Yes, they were. Okay. So it could, it, time frame wise, it's very possible. And maybe we just need to state this, that, um, Patty, once again, 15 years old when she disappeared, how old would these two men have been in 1980, 1981? Do you know? Oh, I would say that they would probably be a good six to eight years their senior. Okay. So possibly 21 to 23 uh, years old. Is there any of the documentation or anything else, had you ever heard of either of their names before uh, – this woman, you know, introduced herself to you? No. No. Okay. Hmm. And in any documentation that um, the Tulsa Girls group home had, that, that you were, they never had any writing about a boy coming to see her or calling her, a guy coming to see her, nothing like that at all? No, the only thing that indicates anything like that is her boss dropping her off after work. But then again, you know, if she wasn't coming in until much later or, you know, way earlier hours in the morning, it's very possible that that, per you know, it wasn't even that person that was bringing her in. So, I mean, at that point in time, it could have been anybody, you know, dropping her off mm -hmm. at those hours in the morning. But nothing ever indicated that name or anybody coming to visit her or calling her. Now, the way you understand the Tulsa Girls Group Home, were the girls allowed to have boyfriends? I mean, was that frowned upon? I mean, what was the situation there? Uh, they were going okay. to high school. I mean, they're going to a high school. Obviously, they're going to be meeting the opposite sex. Do you have any idea what the attitude would have been had one of the you know, supervisors at this home found out that Patty had a boyfriend? I don't. I don't know what the attitude would have been. I do have an incident report from the girls' home where um, Patty got into a fight with one of the girls over a boy, but I have no idea who that would have been or how much truth there is to that being the reason behind it. Um, but there really isn't anything to indicate whether or not that would have been frowned upon or allowed or not allowed or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Now, being that you knew about this letter, that certainly that story once this friend of her, uh, Patty's told you that, man, that really had to jump out. Did you put the connection together right away regarding the letter and Dawn, or did it take some time to flesh itself out? 
Well, um, I think that I had asked her if she knew anyone by that name, and that's kind of how that started, because I had the letter and just trying to find out because she knew her then if she knew of anybody else by that name. And I think that's kind of how that came about. So with that being said, um, there was another Dawn. There was a Dawn reason that went to school with them, but that Dawn has since passed away. Um, and I have reached out to his widow to see if she could confirm or deny whether or not he and Patty had any sort of relationship, but I have not been successful at getting in touch with her. And would this Dawn have been closer to Patty's age? Yes. Okay. So it could be him. We just don't know, but um, if she had a, if she and Dawn were in a relationship, Maybe we think we would know about it by now. Maybe somebody in his family would know. Maybe he would say, hey, I was dating this girl and she disappeared. Nothing like that has come forward. Nothing like that. It has not. No, it has okay. not. Okay. James and his brother, Don, are they still alive? Do they have criminal records? Uh, anything like that, to your knowledge? Have you looked into that? I have looked into that. Um, I've found some things on OSCN.net and just, you know, public record. I can't really even recall what any of them are right now, but there are some things on there from them. And from what I can tell that I've found, they are still alive. Um, like I mentioned earlier, Tulsa PD detective that helped me get this case going has since left Tulsa PD and other ones that have come in and taken her place. I have forwarded this information to, uh, but I just haven't been able to get anybody to pursue it as an actual lead. Okay. Now, as the listeners can, can uh, realize you've, you've gotten a lot done, you know, in the last, and, and like I said, I know that your other families members were working on it uh, before you, you started doing this in 2011, but You've gathered a lot of information. You've kind of connected the dots on some things. Um, but one of the the uh, pieces of information you haven't been able to get your hands on yet, and, it, and once the listeners hear what it is, it's totally understandable, is her social security number, which would probably help you out a lot, wouldn't it? It absolutely would. Yes, over the years, I have hired multiple um, searchers and I have hired uh, private investigators. And basically, you know, that's what I get told because of the research that I've done and what I've able to bring to the table whenever I involve someone new. Um, many of the avenues are things that, you know, they say that they would have already done themselves, but it's already been done. And really the big missing piece of this puzzle for them is always her social security number. Um, I did reach out, uh, like I think I mentioned earlier, to Sonic headquarters about her employment records, and they don't keep anything older than 10 years old from what I've been told. Um, so I'm not able to track it back that way. Uh, of course, you know, I hoped that her state records would contain that. But, uh, you know, I probably have 150 pages worth of her records and there's not, you know, one page that has a social security number on it. Um, you know, the other option I have is going through uh, the Social Security Administration. They do have a program where you can, you know, request them to give you information on a missing person, but they have to actually be able to track that person on their side and make sure that they're okay with it before you get any information. And again, you know, I, I don't have a social security number to go on, so I don't even know how helpful they would be able to be with that. 
would now which it's reasonable to believe i mean she was only i you know i can't remember i mean i'm 47 i can't remember when i got my social security number but it's reasonable to believe that she did have one because she did have a job and technically you're supposed to have a social security number before you get a job that actually where you actually have to pay income taxes correct yes that's correct correct, correct. and you know patty that is correct okay and do you know would if she got a social security number would it have been issued through Oklahoma or where she was before California any idea regarding that no idea she was born in California and and then you know lived in Oklahoma she, mm. she lived in several places but you know lived in Oklahoma for the most part so I don't know if she had a social whenever she went into state care or if they had to help her get that in which case, I don't know if that would have been an Oklahoma one or a California since that when she was born. Yeah. I think this is a fairly important uh, piece of our conversation because I, I think in one of our prior conversations, I had told you that um, there was a disappearance um, that got solved and the person was actually alive uh, because eventually a family member or investigator, somebody finally did get a hold of a social security number somehow. And was able to track the person. And I don't even think the person knew that they were missing. I forget the exact circumstances. But that just shows you how one little piece of information can break open a case you know, fairly quickly. So it would, it would surely be nice um, for you to get your hands on that one way or the other. Even though I realize that there are laws in place to keep you from doing that. Um, how about dental records? You had mentioned that she was thinking about... Uh, getting braces that was mentioned in that letter from 1980. Did she get those braces? And you have you been able to get any dental records, anything like that? She did get the braces um, from what's indicated in her records. She got those. Um, I do have records showing where she was going back and forth to the dentist's office. And um, I have records where it was a recommendation that her four bicuspids were removed. Um, and then in <clears throat> other physical reports that I have in there that they have to do every so often, I guess it's got height, weight, you know, allergies, all of those kinds of things on it. It says in there that she had braces. So the business card of the doctor's office who did that for her was in her records. Um, I reached out to them. He is no longer in business. His son actually took over, but none of the records from that time are there. So I don't actually have any you know, dental records from the dentist's office. Uh, do you know, was she wearing braces when she disappeared? I believe so, because I don't have anything that indicates that they were ever removed. And I know that that's a pretty long process. I have mm -hmm. other sisters and siblings who have had braces, and I know that that's not just a six-month thing. So my assumption is that she did have them whenever she ran away. Okay, so... If she did run away, she jumped on a bus, said, I'm out of here. I don't want to go to high school anymore, which is, a, I think, a, a very good theory at this point, given uh, you know, her attitude towards school. Um, if she did run away to California or Florida or Maine or wherever, at some point she would have had to have gotten those braces taken off. I think that's very fair to yeah, say. Yeah. So officially, you can't just do that in your bathroom at home. That's something that has to be done by a professional. Right. Okay. Have you had any um, chance or have you tried to track down any of the other girls who were at the Tulsa girls uh, group home at the time? 
tried to do um, I have not um, been successful in finding any of them. Uh, there is a Lisa that I had mentioned as being one of the girls there. And I do have a Polaroid of Patty with another girl. And at the bottom of the Polaroid, it says me and my best friend, Patsy. And then it has the name Lisa Workman on it. So my assumption is that that was the same Lisa. Again, it's a pretty common name. I have done some uh, pretty heavy searching for a Lisa Workman, but I have not been able to come up with, with her. I haven't been able to find her. Um, I found some public record on Kim uh, Pollard, which is one of the girls that was mentioned to be in the girls' home. Um, just some, you know, records that I was able to find on, you know, Oklahoma's public record site. Uh, but I was never able to, to track her down and speak with her. Okay. We have to remember this Tulsa Girls Group home uh, was not that big. What you do say, only eight to ten girls there at one time. That would be my guess, yeah, yes. Yeah, like yeah. I said, it's just a large, you know, two-story home. I yeah. can't imagine that many more than that would be able to stay there at a time. Yeah, this isn't like uh, a private school or anything uh, like that at all. It's It's a home, so you can only have so many people in it. So trying to track these uh, these women who would be in their, I guess, their 50s now, not, I mean, trying to track down six, seven women in a country, the United States, of about 300-some million. It's a little tough. It's a little tough. But, you know, maybe you'll have some luck there. Um, in any way, do you believe, is Patty's disappearance related to uh, the murder of a girl known as Tammy Moody? Any anything that you could tell listeners about that? Any suspicions? Um, no suspicions really. Uh, from what I have learned, Tammy Moody was murdered by the janitor at their school. Um, but at that point in time, you know, Patty wouldn't have even gone to school there anymore. So I don't think that there is any connection there. But she was definitely one of the girls that went missing that was found at that time frame. Okay. When you say the school, would that have been the school that? Patty was last attending before she disappeared. No, I believe that Tammy Moody went to Owasso's school. And okay. at the time that Patty disappeared, she was actually attending TAFT, T-A-F-T. Okay. Uh, maybe this is as good a time to, to, to cover this being that you just mentioned it. You said that you have many of these uh, vital statistics regarding Patty. Maybe you could give those out to the listeners. Uh, how tall was she? Um, how much did she weigh? She had this, this great red hair. What else would uh, you people need to know about her? If she is out there, she'd be in her early 50s. Um, what would be those distinguishing characteristics? Um, well, Patty had red hair and green eyes. Um, she was supposed to, according to her records, uh, wear glasses, but she refused to do so. So she may very well just wear contacts, but uh, her eyesight was poor and she was supposed to wear glasses. Um, it does say in some of her records that she was allergic to carrots. Now, I don't know if that was her being mischievous and saying that or if she was, in fact, allergic to carrots. I don't know if I've ever known anybody to be allergic to carrots. Me neither. Um, <laughs> she has uh, the S tattoo on her right arm, upper right arm. Um, at her last physical exam, she was 5'7", and she was 110 pounds. So I'm sure that 5'7 is probably still pretty accurate. Um, and she also has a birthmark on her right knee in the shape of a small circle, and she has a scar on her right thigh. Okay, those are, that's, 
some pretty good information you have there. Uh, that that would uh, I think that um, somebody would be able to pick her out of a crowd maybe with that that information. Of course, we know that natural red hair uh, is is rare. Uh, if it was brown hair, that would be very very common. Red hair though, uh, fairly uncommon. So that would of course make her maybe stick out as well. I'm hoping that somebody hears this and knows uh, a woman in her early 50s that fits those. Uh, fits that description. We can only hope, but uh, th that's some good information there. Um, for you personally, what's this been like for you doing this? Oh, it's been tough, but it's been fulfilling and it's been rewarding. You know, God doesn't ever close one door that he doesn't open another one in this. So, you know, I, I can't say why or how it's taken me so long with everything that I've done, but it's just very obvious that I'm not supposed to find her yet. And hopefully, you know, with every day that passes, I'm getting closer and closer to that realization. Um, it, it's been tough, but, you know, I, I didn't know her personally in mm -hmm. ever having met her. Um, but I do, you know, know her personally as my sister and knowing very personally all the people who, who cared for her and loved her, you know. So um, I think that gives me a slight advantage in this. And I just, you know, I just hope that, that one day I can, I can find her. If somebody would have told you 10 years ago, 2007, that, that you would have done all this, would that have been a surprise? Uh, that you would have found all this information and collected all this information and doing all this searching and everything, do you think that would have been a surprise to you or would you have said, no, that, that sounds about right? Um, I think I would have been surprised because I, you know, have never done anything like this before. Um, so I, I definitely think that I would have been surprised about it at that point in time. Um, since having started my search for Patty, I've been able to help several other people find people that they were looking for. So I'm extremely grateful for the tips and tricks and ways that I have learned to just kind of sleuth and do what I'm doing to find her. Um, I've even come across some people accidentally doing this, you know, that other people were looking for. So, um, you know, it hasn't been all for naught. I've definitely make, I have made progress. Um, not just in my search and, and for, you know, myself in this, because it's extremely important to me. You know, she's my sister and with two of my siblings gone and, you know, some of the other things that go on with the remaining siblings, you know, it's, I just, I just want her here, you know, I just want her to be a part of it. So it's been tough, but I'm very grateful for it. And is your mother, is Patty's mother still alive? Yes. Is, and and how how does she how she felt about this? If you can say, if you can say, <laughs> she's as supportive as she can be. You know, it's it's been a lot of years, and um, there were a lot of things that were happening at the time that she's not proud of or happy about. And you know, she supports me in my search to an extent, um, and I think that that's as as fair as I can be about that answer. Okay, and has there been anybody? Who maybe has said you should just you know if she ran away just gotta you know you should just leave it alone. Any anybody been like that? Sure, sure, yeah, there have been. Mm -hmm. Um, I've I've had a few naysayers on the Facebook page, and I've had a few people even much more close than that who have just really basically said you know you've done all you can do, um, but you know if somebody's just going to choose to think that way, there isn't going to be anything that I can do to sway their thinking and I'm, I'm not going to waste my time trying to do so. 
Sure. You know, I, I can relate to that because, you know, I'm adopted and my biological family ended up finding me and there were people in their lives who were trying to tell them the same thing, you know, back when they found me. But now that they've found me and we're all this one big happy family. So I, I think it's very smart for you to ig totally ignore those people. I mean, being adopted <laughs> a little bit different than what has gone on with you and Patty and your family. But uh, I think ignoring those naysayers is still, you know, is, is very similar in both circumstances. You just got to ignore them. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. You know, my biological father is not the same one as Patty's. Um, I actually have four other sisters on that side of my family who found me several years ago, you know, and I, I can't imagine my life without them now. So I'm glad they never listened to anybody telling them, you know, not to look for me. So I absolutely understand that. And, and I agree. Sure. And maybe we need to remind the listeners one more time. You were born after Patty disappeared, so she might not even know that you exist. It's very possible. That's correct. Yeah. And in fact, we had a conversation, um, I think during our first conversation, a long conversation, that um, we never can take for granted that people are on Facebook and are going to pages and everything else. There are million, millions and millions and millions of people who don't use the internet like maybe you are doing for your search or like I do for my program and going to Facebook and everything else. We can never take those things for granted. So it's very possible that she may not know that somebody is looking for her. That's very possible. That's absolutely very possible. Yeah. And that's not to uh, put down anything you've done. I think you've done a spectacular job, especially having to go back to the early 80s, collect all this information when not even a missing persons report uh, was filed. I think that's just spectacular, April. I give you all the credit in the world. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, where can people go to find out more about what you've been doing, um, more about uh, Patty, uh, anything like that? Where can they go? Um, she has a Facebook page set up at Searching for Patricia Lynn Taylor. So you can go there. You can just search for that on Facebook. Um, I do have a WordPress blog that's out there. Uh, you can get to that at In Search of Patricia Lynn Taylor. You should just be able to Google search either of those and find that. Um, her information is listed in NamUs. Uh, the Charlie Project has covered her story. Uh, the Wolfpack Recovery Team has covered her story. Uh, several links that you can find to any of those places are, on her, are listed on her Facebook page. Okay. Excellent. Any last words, April, before we conclude this interview? If anybody out there knows anything, um, you can remain anonymous. You can reach out to me. You can reach out to Tulsa PD or you can reach out through NamUs. But if anybody thinks any of this sounds even kind of familiar uh, at this point in time, I'm grateful for any bit of information. Please just, just share it if you think that it's something that could be used. They can also reach out to me and I will send the information directly to you. Everything will remain confidential. Uh, as well. So I would be glad to help you in that way as well. Wonderful. And April, I thank you for being on this episode of Unfound. And thank you so much for having me and thank you for your interest in her story. You're welcome. And that was my interview with April Vorndren, sister of Patricia Taylor. I thank her for being on the program. I had to check back through all the cases Unfound has covered 
And this is the first one where I would call the situation a true runaway. And how I would define that is a child who is underage, not involved in something that is illegal or dangerous, drugs, prostitution, anything like that, who picks up one day and leaves, with there being no obvious suspects in the child's disappearance. That's my definition, and they're quite common, as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode. Given their frequency, I'm surprised this is the first. But as I've stated before, I don't pick the cases. The cases pick me. What this means, though, is that of all the cases Unfound is featured, I believe Patty's is the one that could be the most likely to be solved, and her found alive. Yes, there could be a concern with James and Don Lay, but would Patty have needed a bus to see them? Why not just call them to pick her up? I have to say, I truly believe Patty ran away on her own, and there's no facts that say otherwise. This should give April and her family the hope that Patty is still alive, maybe living under a new name, not knowing her family is looking for her. It could be whoever is in her life doesn't know about her past. So I'm hopeful, and April and her family can continue to use myself and Unfound in any way to find Patty. I'll leave the rest of the theorizing up to you. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a five-star review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.